0: clutch athletics and rich paul the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community with rising defensive football stars will anderson and chase young on the roster clutch athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes giving them style and performance on and off the field learn more and purchase clutch athletics at newbalance.com
1: hey y'all i'm bud elliott and this is cover three college football summer school We've done our research on the teams, and now we're bringing on the top team experts from the 24-7 Sports Network to help us fill in the blanks. Please follow us on Twitter at Cover3Podcast. That's Cover3Podcast. And leave us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. All right. Class is in session. All right, guys, welcome back in here to the cover three podcast, joined by my man in the Michigan market from the Michigan insider Sam Webb. Sam is the guy to go to in, in Michigan. That's why we have him on the show. Dude,
2: welcome back. Hey, bud, glad to be back, man. Have fun last time around. Hopefully, this could, you know, this could lead to a similar circumstance when it comes to, to interest and newsworthy items uh here in this next year cycle. So You know, last time, last year was a good luck charm. Hopefully, it's the same way this year.
1: And I, I, I have some crow to eat on Michigan before we start this. I, I said I I had trouble trusting, you know, trusting Michigan, trusting Harbaugh, because I felt like they were gaming the power rating system. You know, like (laughs) they would, they, they, they crush these bad teams, and then when they got in the big game, somehow they'd find a way to kind of mess it up. And you know what? It made me look like an idiot last year because they went out and they smacked Ohio State, and you know, really played. They played to their numbers and even exceeded their numbers. So. I was wrong on that, Michigan fans. Y'all were right for for keeping the belief. Assuming y'all did. Now, I seen the message board at ties to people, you know, but most I think still still kept the belief. Maybe being a Michigan man there uh, gets you a little more little more leeway uh, than otherwise would have. Um so this is kind of the bud offseason homework series where I kind of look at my stuff and I try to fill in fill in the blanks. Um so first up for you, Sam, is there anything that you're expecting different on offense due to the change in coordinator obviously josh gaddis goes to miami now michigan's working with co-coordinators is anything you think that's going to be really different as a coordinator change result
2: you know it's hard to say but stylistically you know what the imprint of the new guys is is going to be I, I think there was going to be a difference even if josh gaddis came back because okay. the offense is going to have to be more explosive now mind you they were an explosive offense last year, but they were much more methodical in leading up to that explosiveness. I mean, they they did a good job in chunk plays at 50 yards or more, uh, but I think the passing game, the downfield, the vertical passing game is going to have to be more potent this year. Uh, the quick strike ability is going to have to be more pronounced this year, uh, and that puts a lot more stress on a the quarterback. They made Josh Gaddis made a concerted effort to be less quarterback dependent last year. I think that was about playing to the strengths of the offense, that being the offensive line and the, uh, and the tailbacks, but also to not put so much pressure on the quarterback. I mean, you got to keep it all in context and perspective. The year prior, they tried to get Joe Milton because Joe Milton looked so good in practice. He had this big arm. He was this blessed athlete. Uh, And I think they tried to force feed his development. And the biggest, I think, learning element from that season for Josh Gaddis was, you know, you got to you got to coach to the strengths of the guys as opposed to, you know, coaching to what you what you want to do schematically. You got to be able to marry the two better. And he did that in a splendid way last year. And I think these guys are going to take a page from that book in that the, the running backs are still probably the best part of this offense. And the offensive line is going to be a strength again. But now you got a quarterback contingent with some experience. Kay McNamara quarterbacked the team to a Big Ten championship. JJ McCarthy, now he's gotten his feet wet and you want to see what he can do. And I think you could put more of the burden for offensive explosiveness on the quarterback this year.
1: And particularly one of the areas I want to see Michigan improve this year, if they're going to have another season like they just had, which was a pretty magical run, is the ability to convert third and long. Right from the like the the passing game when they're not specifically in play action type stuff, right? Like they they were really good at hitting those explosive plays when the defense was thinking run. Mm-hmm. I want to see the conversions more down the field when when it's third and seven, when, when it's third and eight. And I I mean Sam, I look at this. This should be one of the best receiving cores in yeah. the Big Ten. Yeah, we talk about Ohio State, and that's fair. But like, man, Ruben Wilson's going to be back healthy, we assume, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, you you start with Ronnie Bell, who was gonna who was lost in the first game last. Excuse year. me, Ronnie Bell,
1: not Wilson. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, he's he's looking like he's gonna he was looking like he was gonna be a, a big time guy for for Michigan. Like he was gonna take that step. He goes down and they fill it by committee. But I thought you saw the emergence of a number of guys who are poised to take steps forth, forth this year. Cornelius Johnson is a is an experienced guy with years under his belt in his senior year, a speed guy, a long guy. Roman Wilson might be the fastest guy on the team. We saw Andre Anthony, who brings that size, speed, contingent. He went for 80 yards in that opening series versus Michigan State, right? And then you bring in these freshmen. You look at a guy like Darius Clements, who was a standout in the spring game. They're so deep at receiver now that Mikey you know, a guy who's a slot and and maybe their most physical receiver, despite his diminutive size, they're playing him at DB now, so Ooh, they have, like a
1: like a nickel or a slot
2: or something like a, like a nickel. Yeah, he's, okay. And he's gonna, and I think they think he's gonna be able to really contribute. there. still gonna play receiver too, but they think he's really gonna be able to contribute a nickel. If you don't have the depth of receiver, you don't do that. That's why again, everything around the quarterback now is established. Last year, not so much. You had talent, but it wasn't talent that had come to come to the fore as you can lean on it. Like this is. This is a strength. This is teams are going to have to try to figure out how they're going to stop it. You have that now, so it's the onus is on the quarterback, I think, to raise the level of play at that position to where now, you know, that's the cat. The quarterback is the catalyst, and that's to your point about third and seven, third and eight, third and long. Yeah, that's a that's a quarterback down, where hey, he has to find a guy. He might have to squeeze it in the window. He might have to improv a bit and and make a play on the move. That's what we want to see from the quarterbacks this year. Uh, I think, from a from an outside perspective, to see if they've really taken that next step as an offense.
1: For sure, uh, I, I know a couple guys on the UVA staff. They told me that uh, Oluwatimi is stud. So I assume we don't need to worry about the offensive line. Like they're going to be good there again.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think, as a matter of fact, you know, with Oluwatimi, I think they're going to take a step forward. And I don't okay. think, you know, this is not in, to disparage Andrew Vastardis, who I thought did a really good job, former walk-on center who rose up and, and really was a good anchor in the middle. I thought he he was better than I expected him to be blocking on the move. Uh, so pretty mobile. But, you know, strength at the point of attack wasn't his strong suit, pun intended. It is for Oluwatimi, and he brings uh, even better mobility. I, I just think that that element of their team, uh, you know, getting outside on stretch plays, for instance, uh, you know, I, I just, and he's just as smart. I just think they're going to take a step forward. They do have to replace their right tackle, but they're doing so with the form, former Under Armour All-American and Trent a. Jones, who was their extra tight end last year. Got to figure they're going to be strong there too. They don't expect to take a step back at all on the offense, offensive line. I,
1: I figure if this team can, has a chance of replicating last year. So last year they were, I think, 19th in SP plus offense and 10th in SP plus defense. Like if they just flip that, Like, I feel like they could be right where they were again. Like, they can be like a top 10 offense and maybe a top 20 defense. So I'll I'll take you to the other side. So you lose your top two snap count guys on the defensive line, the top snap count guy at linebacker, and the top three snap count guys at DB. Like, it's hard for me not to – and a couple of those dudes didn't just play a lot. They were pretty special talents, obviously. and They're going to go high in the draft. Right. I assume there's going to be – some level of drop off of this defense.
2: Yeah, right? look, unless you're being total Homer, glass half full, not half full, glass. It's <laughs> still tomorrow, over the right? counter. You get yeah. the paper towel. Unless you're that guy, of course you do. I mean, and you can hear it with the coaches. You lose Aiden Hutchinson and David Jabo, the best sack combo in Michigan history. You're not gonna rep- to to plan to have guys who step up and do that. I think it's setting yourself up setting yourself up for failure. I think you hope for that. But you figure out ways to compensate for that. So the new defensive coordinator, Jesse Mentor, he came in. He said, yeah, we got to figure out ways to manufacture pressure. So I think you're going to see Michigan be a more blitz-heavy team this year. I think you're going to see the linebackers especially more involved in the pass rush. Uh, and, and I think you're going to see it by committee. I think they have a number of guys up front who – you know, show flashes of, of playmaking ability last year. Are, are they going to be better this year? Yes. Are they going to be game wreckers? I mean, I, you can't predict that. So that's why you talk about the offense needing to be more explosive. They're going to have to score more points. I think, I, I think that's what you put on paper to give your, t- your defense some time to mature. And if they go, come up and become a team that can be a top 20 defense, great. But you gotta prepare like they're not gonna be, and I think Michigan has the kind of offensive firepower to be able to compensate for what they lost defensively.
1: And of course, if you're blitzing more and you're maybe not quite as good on defense, I mean, it also means at times you are giving up maybe a couple more explosive scores, but you're getting the ball back to the offense quicker and, and letting the offense do its thing. Uh, of of those areas that that we mentioned, where where do you think they'll they'll have the most success in, in replacing the dudes who who are gone, and where do you think will be the biggest struggle?
2: So you know defense, I think they're they'll have the best they have the best chance of, of replacing the lost production in the secondary. Okay. Um, you know, Dax Hill was a, a fantastic talent, uh, such a versatile chess piece in the secondary. He he made the nickel basically be their base defense. He could he was strong in the box against the run. He was a devastating blitzer and he could he could cover slots man to man. I mean, he was just that guy. You come in this year, and I think you have a, a safety contingent that, despite the loss of Brad Hawkins, I think is ready to step to the four. IJ Moulton played a ton last year. Makari Page got his, you know, he's a former four star guy, uh, long, rangy, now experienced uh, a little bit in the scheme, a little bit more in the scheme. Corner is where I think they'll take a step forward. Okay, Jamon Green, uh, I think, is ready to build on last year. He had a great spring. D.J. Turner came on about midway through the season, former IMG guy and really locked down the other side the rest of the way. So you came back, I think, feeling better about your corner contingent than you went into last year uh, with feeling. And then you add to it Will Johnson, five star All-American, comes in as an early enrollee and they say he's really, really flashed. What are you going to do? At the uh, at the nickel position, this is where Mikey Saint Ristol comes in, and Mikey Saint Ristol was a physical receiver despite his size. Like I said, but what they figure the strength of this switch is going to be for him is in man-to-man coverability. They actually feel like, based on how he looked in the spring, where he he might have been the defensive MVP of the spring. He was that good over the course of spring ball. They think in man-to-man coverability. They don't think the drop off is going to be that great. Now I'm reserving judgment because while I think he certainly brings you great quickness and good speed, he knows the offense. He doesn't just know the offense like right. what the defense does over the course of spring and fall camp playing against the other side. Right, this is different. Like he played offense, he played receiver, or and plays there still. He's a technician. Like he knows what they're trying to do to him schematically he knows the quarterback and receiver tendencies so you wonder how much of that cheat code allowed him to be that playmaker game in and game out we won't know that till the season rolls around but again secondary is where they have the best chance of not falling off uh you know precipitously from where they were last year
1: awesome so we're not lowering the expectations on this Michigan team just kind of shifting around uh maybe the what side of the ball will have to carry the greatest portion of the load uh last one for me Sam Really appreciate your time today. Is there any spot to you that is obvious that they, that they need to go hunting in the portal uh, following spring?
2: Yeah, they need to go hunting in the portal for uh, some defensive tackle help for sure. They need some, some okay. size up front. Mizey Smith brings them 300 bills plus. They are they are definitely doing that in the portal now. That's a huge, huge deal. I think they would like to add another corner just to get some experience depth back there. I mean, you, you can never have... In this day and age of college football, you can never have enough experience at at corner. And Michigan saw that last year as they went, you know, they wound up going to their third and fourth guys at times. And that's been the case over the last couple of years. So I think those two positions. But again, I, I think if you're them, they're feeling really comfortable about where they are defensively. You got some guys poised to step up and offensively. But I'm telling you, man, as good as they were last year, They have all the ingredients to be more explosive. The running backs are going to be big play guys for sure. Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum are lights out. And then you mentioned the receivers. It boils down to me to is Kay McNamara. Does he take that next step as a downfield passer? You know, watching him last year, I felt like he was a, a really good guy at taking care of the football and moving the chains of taking what the offense, what the defense gave him for the most part but was reluctant to challenge down the field, down the middle of the field versus zone. I think he's going to have to be able to do that. And then J.J. McCarthy, has, the, has he gotten that balance? Because he is a guy who can make huge, huge plays with this athletic talent, sort of reining that in and taking what the defense gives him. Has he found that balance? I sort of thought we started to see that as a freshman, but he had limited snaps last year in this role. Whatever the quarterback dynamic is this year, He's going to have more snaps. Can he achieve that balance and not taking too much of a risk, but also, in, you know, sort of, you know, taking acceptable risks, I think is the way that I want to put it. You know, you got to be able to challenge some, and I think J.J. McCarthy can do that. Can he do it within reason, Oh, That's the big challenge for him.
1: Absolutely, Sam. I I really appreciate the time. You know, look, look in the schedule. Colorado State, Hawaii, UConn, Maryland, Iowa, Indiana, they're, they're going to be damn near to Halloween uh, by by the time that that defense is actually probably seriously tested through the air, yeah, the so you're going sp- to have time to evaluate and figure out who who can cover who can't.
2: Yeah, and the, and here's the thing: you might have a quarterback battle mm-hmm. raging up to that point because both guys have- both guys are going to play. But do you when do you start to skew more one way than the other? I think it might not be until late in the season until you start seeing it.
1: I had McCarthy as my my fourteenth we did a, a Heisman draft. And once you get past like the first two rounds, it's kind of just a total crapshoot. But I
2: was like, there's a path for McCarthy.
1: I, I took him with the 14th overall pick. I was like, yeah. what if he just improves enough to win the job outright? Like that guy's got the talent.
2: And that's an I, if. Yeah, I know, but I'm with you. I to me, I think JJ McCarthy's gonna be the guy by the end of the season. I, I really do. Yeah. I, I think I think it th- it's gonna take games to sit down. The quarterback who quarterbacked you to the big ten championship i like it's hard for me to see a scenario hard for me to see him overwhelm cade so much that cade is not you know is is sat down by game one is it possible sure i think jj is that talented but he would have to be lights completely lights out in fall camp to win the job outright heading into the fall but whether whether it's the beginning of the season or the middle of the season, I think Michigan is undefeated, uh, you know, until well into the year. And I think they'll be undefeated at the point where they make the decision on who's the who's going to be the guy the rest of the way. I don't think it'll take a loss to make that determination.
1: That's going to be fascinating. We'll be following all the details on the Michigan Insider with Sam Webb, the best Michigan guy in the game. Make sure you guys check it out. Tremendous VIP content over there as well. And check out the Michigan Insider family of podcasts. It's an absolute great group. Really blessed to have those guys in our network. Sam, appreciate the time as always. Thanks, bud. Appreciate it, man.
2: Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half,
0: we know talent. Visit RobertHalf.com today.
1: Please to welcome in Ben Moore, our Georgia State all everything guy from Panther Talk. Uh, ben, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Bud. Appreciate it, man. I, I feel like we, we've talked on Twitter forever, and it's the first time I've actually, actually gone face to face. So uh, I'm, I'm excited about this, and hopefully you can help me fill in some of the some of the gaps that I have in my, my off-season prep about about Georgia State. Um, pretty nice season you guys have been having two years in a row up there uh you know two bowls in a row last year pretty terrible start one and four and then turned it on qb switch i believe i saw uh finished eight and five overall power rated in the, the 70s which you know for a sunbelt team that's uh that's a pretty good you know power rating score on, on a national basis But were the fans pretty happy there i assume Yeah, most definitely. I think Sean Elliott's got got it
3: cooking really, uh, you know, that was last year was year five and it's still crazy to think about, you know, this is the the program's only 12th season. So in existence. So uh, as you got some programs who've been here for 50, 60, a hundred years, potentially uh, you know, these, these guys are basically middle schoolers in in terms of uh, you know, where we're, where we're dealing with only 13 year old program moving in, but uh, yeah, tough schedule to start out, uh, you know, road games against North Carolina, the home opener uh, against Army, now, it's always difficult to kind of game plan for that just because it throws off your preparation uh, offensively and defensively. Uh, but then things kind of started got, getting rolling. Uh, had, had a near miss there on the road against Auburn, and uh, the offense really gets ro- rolling uh, with the running game. You know, just a double-headed monster there with Tucker, Gregg and Jemias Williams. Uh, those two guys are are really tough, and and um, you know, really for the Sun Belt, uh, you know, kind of a ascended in a way, you know, six and two, you know, set the program record there and uh, you know, eighth win there in the bowl game, just blowing the doors off Western Kentucky there. So uh, expectations are very, very high again for 2022 uh, with 18 starters back. And and, uh, as we talked a little bit before returning quarterback and uh, all the offensive line and the running
1: backs that I mentioned. So uh, I, last year I I kept betting Georgia state overs. Uh, They played at a really high tempo. I kept losing them because they would get in the red zone and kind of screw around at times and, Uh, Their defense will come up with some miracle stops at times as well. But I I need to to ask a couple questions about the offense this year. Um, Did they go through two offensive coordinators already this offseason? Yeah, welcome! welcome to Sunbelt life
3: uh, in the mid major right uh, your offensive coordinator gets gets uh, plucked uh, and it goes to Virginia tech uh, to be the quarterbacks coach up there. Uh, then the uh, head of Sean Elliott promoted Josh step um, who uh, who quickly in, uh, went to Louisville uh, there so uh, which a little bit of a fun there uh, Scott Satterfield is a former teammate. Uh, of Sean Elliott at App State. So uh, he he called up uh, his old buddy and said, "I'm taking him with me, and he's going to be the tight ends coach Now, you're on OC number three in this calendar year uh, here. Uh, so it, it has been a little bit uh, of a difference. But uh, Trent McKnight, uh, who was the wide receiver coach, took over, uh, just had the spring game last uh, Friday night. And the offense isn't going to look too much different uh, Different in terms of uh, you know play calling or style. There, this is still going to be a, probably a 65% uh, rushing attack. Uh, they want to pound the football. Uh, but I think in year two with Darren Granger as the quarterback, they definitely want to try to test things down the field and and uh, have a sixth-year tight end. Um, he is actually older than his position coach, and has caught a t- touchdown pass from his position
1: coach. I'm not sure there's anybody else in America that can say that. That that's got to be some kind of record. Uh, so McKnight is, is he has he been anywhere else? I'm not not super familiar with him.
3: Yeah. So he came from the FCS uh, ranks. He's been on the staff basically since year one uh, with Sean Elliott. He was a guy from Samford, um, you know, was a part of that uh, program and, uh, you know, like to like the air raid and uh, throw the ball all over the place there. Um, But uh, yeah, he's, he's a guy that's been on the staff familiar with the personnel uh, once, you know, he, He's recruited every single one of the wide receivers. Wants to get the ball out, out and in, in space with them. That's done a really good job developing wide receivers. And at the Sun Belt level, you're going to find guys that are they're not highly ranked all the time. Uh, but you're going to have to go find those individuals and then train them up. You're not going to have the six three, six four, six five guys. You're going to have to look for those 510 guys with some speed, um, and then really you know kind of develop them out. And he's done a really good job of, of building the roster there, And probably
1: one of the deeper rooms in the Sun Belt. Tendency wise. Uh we're still expecting a lot of tempo or about the same level of tempo. I, I would expect that C- certainly with more familiar,
3: uh, you know, you've got, f- you got four offensive linemen back, uh, your entire wide receiving group back, you know, starting tight end back, um, you know, guys that are, are really, you know, understanding the terminology. It's not going to change from uh, what Sean Elliott's talked about this spring so far. I uh, would expect some, some movement
1: and really want to get those those play count numbers up. Nice. Uh, last one on the offense here last year, my numbers say Georgia State chucked it deep a lot, but they really didn't connect on a lot of those deep passes. I know they got some pass interference, which doesn't really, you know, account for that. But are you expecting better deep balls this year as far as connection? And if so, why?
3: Yeah, the biggest thing I think is is Darren Granger continuing to get more comfortable. You know, he was uh, kind of a victim of the COVID season. He came from Furman, so uh, as a as a true freshman, started four games uh, for the Paladins down there. Then 2020, of course, gets leveled in the FCS ranks. Only I think a a handful of programs actually played Furman did not. So he transferred 2021, uh, sat basically was the was the starter from you know game three on uh, from there, and was eight and three as a starter, Uh, really impressive there. He's a guy that has a big arm, and is, that's the biggest, you know, kind of working point this offseason is really trying to harness that and really trying to connect with his wide receivers. But he's got uh, some guys that can really move. But Jamari Thrash is a, was their leading receiver in twenty twenty one. A guy that can really get out in open space. Robert Lewis is another guy um, that they're they're really high on. Uh, Josias Credle is another guy uh, who was a transfer from the University of Central Florida kind of got his feet wet um you know last year as a sophomore didn't play much at UCF as a freshman uh, but he's a big 6'2 and a half 6'3 target uh, on the outside as well they really want to attack the seams as well as to get things out in the outside so I do do expect a step forward for the Panthers this fall
1: awesome uh so that's all I got on the offense real quickly on the defense pretty strong defense last year by by sunbelt standards one of the better ones in the conference uh are you thinking about the same, better, worse? And then specifically, it looks like they had a little struggles at times on third and longs. What, What do you see for the defense this year?
3: Yeah, it's a 3-4 it's a attacking defense for Nate, Nate Fuquay. This is year six for him, so he's been here since uh, day one with uh, with Sean Elliott. Uh, had, had some of his position coaches uh, move around and, and get promoted and, and end up in uh, power five situations, which happens, of course, in the Sun Belt, but very opportunistic defense. Uh, they've been usually top 10, top 15 in the country the last few years and forcing turnovers. Uh, they also get in the backfield a ton. Uh, they set school records, back-to-back seasons and sacks. Uh, they have one of the better uh, safeties in the country in Antavia lane. They call him the hit stick. Uh, If you remember uh, Tyron Matthew, uh, he's kind of the sunbelt version of the honey badger, if you will. He's about five, nine, about a buck 80 and flies around, uh, gets his head uh, you know, in, in right on the rail right of football, wherever he is and has actually already the program leader in interceptions and uh, took one back uh, for six against Western Kentucky in the uh, in the bowl game. But um, no, I think up front, guy like Thomas Gore. Uh, if you focus on uh, some of the pro football focus or different numbers, they actually have rated him as the highest rated interior lineman in the nation, and that's not just mid major sunbelt your group of 5 power 5 he was number 1 uh, he takes over full time at the nose guard position um, outside you got a guy by the name of Jamil Muhammad who was a quarterback a recruit for Vanderbilt uh, was playing outside linebacker and the o- overall every staff member that I talked to this spring is just just so excited about Jamil because uh, he's probably a high 4 5 guy at that outside linebacker 63 about 235 not the typical type of athlete that you're going to see in the Sun Belt. And uh, he's going to be a problem uh, attacking folks, basically coming off the edge. And uh, kind of in that mold of, of what Jordan Strawn was when he was two years ago when he led the nation in sacks and is now, of course, with South Carolina. All
1: right, Ben, anything else our listeners need to know about Georgia State? You think they're a legitimate threat to win the conference this year? Any, any you know any player that we haven't mentioned or you think will make a huge impact for them or could really change their, their power rating from a betting standpoint? Or maybe any spot where they're still looking to take a transfer?
3: Yeah, they, they're still looking for a kicker at this point, which we know uh, kickers are people too. You know, they, they, they every, uh, every college team, either you have one or you don't. We see that every single fall. Uh, most certainly they're looking at the transfer portal, uh, currently there. Uh, still looking, uh, to, to improve, uh, I think some in the secondary potentially. Um, uh, but, but I'm, uh, very interested in in how September lines up for the Panthers. You know, they, they host uh, They first travel to South Carolina. Uh, The vast majority of this, of this coaching staff is from the state of South Carolina. Of course, Sean Elliott was a, uh, was the interim when Steve Spurrier uh, left to university of South Carolina mid midterm. Uh, And then kind of even a backstory. Uh, So I mentioned Jordan Strawn a little bit earlier. Uh, He was, Uh, If you will encouraged to jump into the transfer portal by uh, certain folks that uh, were associated with the South Carolina program. So that's going to have all the juice uh, there in in the opener there um, for the Panthers. And then uh, GSU will come home and host the University of North Carolina uh, for their first ever Power Five game uh, at, at home there at Center Park Stadium downtown Atlanta. So uh, it will be very uh, I- intriguing to start out, of course, with two Power Five programs. You still have a road trip to Army uh, before the uh, new new Sun Belt schedule begins there in October. So um, a lot of uh, excitement. Uh, certainly the next step is winning the conference and competing for that uh, for that championship and really having an opportunity to go out and knock off like an app state uh, in the division or, or trying to ascend like coastal carolina did a few years ago absolutely all right ben dot
1: com. really appreciate you joining us thanks for having me bud appreciate it
3: okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you
1: Back here with the Cover Three Podcast Summer School Edition for college football, and I am pleased to be joined by Nathan King. Nathan, let's talk a little Auburn, man. Let's do it. I'm I'm, I'm excited. So great coverage from you guys. Auburn 24 Seven Sports is the spot to be following Nathan King. All right. So six and seven last year, very difficult schedule. If you look at the power ratings, they had him as like a top 30 team. Not that Auburn fans goal is necessary to be a, a top 30 quality team, uh, but that's kind of what you get six and seven if you have a top 30 quality team and you have like a top five strength of schedule rating. So um, unfortunately at Auburn, if you slip even a little bit, that schedule doesn't slip and thus the the losses come. I, I wanted to start with you here, just sort of filling in the gaps as I, as I do my, my prep uh, for the season. Offense last year was – Power rated kind of in the 50s, brand new coach and Brian Harson obviously new schemes, new players. Uh, far more efficient than explosive for the most part, it seemed. Like, like I could get first downs, but it felt like they were always a, a little bit just a hair off trying to create the explosive play. New coordinator in the building. Are, are we expecting anything drastically different,
0: either scheme or, or, or pace or, or player usage? No, not at all, okay. not in the slightest. Might have been the case if Austin Davis – Had had hung around. Obviously, he came over from the Seahawks um, quarterback guru, but decided to take a step back from coaching. Um, I believe he launched a a financing firm like last month. Um, Mm -hmm. So legitimately, that was his reasoning. Um, But now Eric, he saw he'd been with he's the new O.C. Been with Harson for a while at Boise State as a receivers coach and then or excuse me, quarterbacks coach and then got promoted um, to work as the O.C. There. Yeah. From talking to everybody um, this spring, which obviously just wrapped up for them. Um, over the weekend, doesn't sound too different. Still a lot of power running, um, a lot of two tight end sets. They're actually, they went more uh, tight end split out wide this spring because just default numbers at receiver were not great. And so they they featured the tight ends a lot. That'll probably be a big theme of this season. But yeah, you're right. Talking about the lack of explosiveness this is something that's, that's, that's plagued this team even back to the later stages of the Malzahn era. I don't remember the last time they had a consistent receiver, even a guy like Anthony Schwartz who could take a 10, 15 yard pass and turn it into a 60, 70 yard touchdown, which is is Alabama, Ohio state. That's what the best offenses do. Obviously they've got those playmakers. Auburn's still looking for that, that receiver. Um, And down the stretch of last season, I mean, if they were in the top 40, I believe, right? You said 40, 50s um, power ranking on offense. That all came from when Bo Nix was healthy because when he went down, um, boy, I think they had, I think in the second half of the season, they scored three touchdowns in the second half over their final six games. Something like that. And their second half points per drive was like one point two or something like that. Um, just it was really, really bad down the stretch of the season. So whether T.J. Finley is the answer or not, didn't really look like it at the end of last year. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see. But this group, uh, you know, under Keysaw, and now Brian Harson, who, who we presume will call plays, doesn't necessarily look like it's going to be that different from what Auburn fans saw um, in twenty twenty one. So let's let, let's go there.
1: Uh, Bo Nix has transferred out to Oregon to be with with former, uh, you know, QB coach, offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham. Uh, but Auburn does bring in Zach Calzada, who uh, had a, a promising kind of up and down season when he was thrust into the starting role there at Texas A and M. He was obviously the backup uh, before Haynes King for the Aggies went down in that game against Colorado. You also bring in Robbie Ashford, who is is you know, kind of from. You know, from that area, and I know Auburn was involved with him when he was in high school, if I recall, uh, and then T.J. Finley's still there. Are, are are you of the mindset that one of these guys has the advantage right now?
0: I think actually it's 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 gone from beginning slash middle of spring, T.J. Finley, pretty sizable advantage because, you know, obviously a guy that started three games at the end of the season, um, just has, you know, has control of the offense from last year. Um, you know, knows, knows what Keesaw and the, and Harson want to do. saw was still on the staff last year. He's the receivers coach. Um, so, you know, he knows what they want to accomplish on the offense side of the ball. The playmakers around him all know him. But I think things kind of leveled out and, and came to a head with Ashford on A-Day, uh, which is Auburn spring game. He was the offensive MVP. Numbers, I don't even need to, like, there's no use getting into them. They don't really tell a story. And obviously, you shouldn't really, like, focus too much on that. Um, he's just a wild card for them and he's a guy that a lot of Auburn fans on our board in particular a lot of Auburn fans that I saw just talking about what the ceiling of this team can be and whether we already know what we have from a guy like Finley and a guy like Calzada in fact a guy like Calzada did it with better talent at Texas A&M so you know has there been kind of a cap put on what T.J. Finley can accomplish maybe not he could just have a big summer and, and emerge into a better player but is is Ashford kind of that Dual threat, really athletic, made some great plays on the run. Just a really good looking player, really fun to watch. The defensive players, even after the spring game, were like, yeah, he's fun to play against, trying to contain him in the pocket. Um, so I think, you know, I don't nobody emerged in the spring in terms of you know, head and shoulders above, which is to be expected from this group. Um, I truly do believe you head into the fall now with this thing mostly deadlocked between TJ Finley because of his experience, Robbie Ashford because of the way he closed things out and kind of that different dynamic he gives you. And then Calzada, Calzada didn't do anything in the spring. He went through non-contact reps, but he didn't even play in the spring game. Um, ironically, he's still dealing with a shoulder issue. He suffered in the Auburn game last year. Um, but he'll be good for the fall. And you know, his experience, 10 10 starts last year. You have to think he'll be on the same track as the rest of them. So should be really, really interesting. And of course, you know, we've got three full months now to just speculate and talk about that quarterback battle. Um, but I really do think it's it's mostly deadlocked heading into the fall, which is obviously the most interesting possible outcome from the spring, so quite a bit of uncertainty there uh, at, at quarterback for Auburn, but they have some options.
1: Uh, two guys who we're fairly certain about: Tank Bigsby and and Hunter. Uh, there are both back. If if I've seen like the most updated uh, roster, as is most of the offensive line, I I, I think. You, I, I mean, I'm reading into this, but the
0: run game is going to have to be the strength of this offense. I would assume it will be. They will force it to be. Yes, um, you know, last season I, I believe they were. Middle of the pack in the SEC in terms of rushing numbers. Um, Again, when Bonix was healthy, a little bit more explosive of a passing game. Um, But, yeah, Tank Bigsby is going to be the focal point of this offense by, you know, huge margin over anybody else. Um, That's just because they're still trying to figure out what they've got. At wide receiver, you mentioned Jarquez Hunter. He was a three-star out of Mississippi last year. Burst onto the scene, I believe he had close to 600 rushing yards on the season. He actually missed most of the spring, had a cleanup on his leg, but he'll be fine for fall camp. So you've got a really nice one-two punch there with those guys. And yes, so there were six possible offensive linemen who could have come back using that exercising that COVID year and four of them did so. So that's, you know, it was a position you, when the season ended, it was like, man, this could get really dire. This was a group that already wasn't incredible. If you lose all six of these seniors or at least close to them, the majority of them might be in a really hairy spot. You're going to have to lean heavily on the transfer portal. Instead, they're going to bring back four or five starters on the offensive line. And so if you're looking for a silver lining of this Auburn offense, which obviously you know, Auburn fans are trying to do, um, you know it is that expectation that maybe this group, the run game, they will take the expected step forward. What is it looking at? It's year two of Brian Harson's offense. Some of the assistants are different. Are different. It's his offense. Does that group take a little bit of a step forward? Tank Bixby might be his last college season before he, before he turns pro. He's a junior. He's going to have his eye, his, you know, sights set on having a big season. Jarquez Hunter, can he improve? So, yes, absolutely. Not only because it's the power run game, High formation pro style thing that he likes to do that Harson likes to do, but just talent in, in terms of it, maybe even, you know, particularly at the beginning of the season, heading into that Penn State game. I really just think they're going to lean really heavily on this ground game. They've got a great group of tight ends, too. They'll lean heavily throwing the ball to them while they're still figuring out what they got at, at quarterback and at receiver. So, uh,
1: losing Kobe Hudson and, and, and losing Demetrius Robertson, you safe to assume there, there will
0: likely be a drop off there. From Kobe Hudson's spot, yes. Um, Demetrius Robertson, I was actually very ineffective toward, down the stretch of the season. Um, sort of had his job taken away from him at punt returner because he just couldn't hold on to the ball. And so uh, but Kobe Hudson, yeah. I mean, Auburn fans, of course, tried to downplay that as not necessarily a huge loss. He's their best receiver by a mile last season. Shedrick Jackson emerged, kind of. Um, Javarius Johnson did some nice things, but he's had he's had injury issues in the past. Kobe Hudson was consistent. Um, he was putting Alabama defenders and at future NFL players on skates in that game, really, really talented player. Um, So that's a huge loss for them. And, and, you know, kind of like you're mentioning, they are looking for any and all playmakers to emerge at receiver, any inkling they can get of that in the spring, they were latching onto it. Um, And so they're really trying to get these guys, you know, to improve a little bit heading into next season, I believe week six or seven of last year, according to PFF, they led the sec in drops midway through the year. And it was like, by six or seven drops over over the number two team. So it is not only a group that is losing a couple guys and they lost a couple depth pieces to the transfer portal. They're breaking in their third receiver's coach of the Harson era because he fired the one last season four weeks in. So it's the third, it's Ike Hilliard who's in the NFL. Um, not only are they doing that, but you lose those guys. Um, and so they're they're tinkering around with some things. Landon King is a really talented tight end. They're kind of making him a a receiver tight end hybrid at that split out position. Um, so yeah, you you'd have to think that's that's kind of a struggle for them right now, especially as they they work in a new quarterback competition. That again is why we're gonna you know we're gonna see them lean on the tight end and the run game so much. For sure. All right, so let's go ahead to the side of the ball that has really kind of carried Auburn for the last
1: I don't know, three or four years. I feel like you could pretty much always count on the Tigers to have somewhere between a good to great defense uh, in, in the SEC. Uh, I'm scanning the depth chart here, Nathan. It, it looks like all their top defensive linemen are back, most of them at least. But then the depth is who is backing up, or is Auburn just going to try to go with like five D linemen this year and 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 hope the injury gods are are uh,
0: look upon them fondly? I think yeah, you you summed it up perfectly. That at the top they're great. Um, you know, you've got you've got a four man front of Colby Wooden, who I think is a, is a breakout player waiting yeah. to happen. I mean he's already been really good, but he's a guy that could come on even more. Uh, Marcus Harris is a Kansas transfer who's very productive for them last year. Uh, Eku Liotta is a Northwestern transfer. He was really good. And then Derek Hall was third in the SEC in sacks. You've got a great defensive front there. Um, yeah, past them, they had nine defensive line transfers in the offseason. So you're exactly right. You're hoping that you know an injury situation doesn't pop up there. They've, they've got a couple pieces You know they'll, they'll bring in. They've got Jeffrey Embaugh. He's the number one Juco defensive tackle in the country. Once he's healthy, that'll be nice for them couple pieces coming in. They'll look in the transfer portal as well. But yeah, I mean that's that's a concern if that if that does end up happening. Um particularly because you lose your top two tacklers at linebacker, Zacoby McLean and and Chandler Wooten. You bring Owen Papo back. He didn't practice the spring, but he'll be back for the fall. Um so you need that defensive front to set you up for success because you've got kind of a new wave of linebackers there. Um on the second level, I think they should be fine along the D line. That's that's kind of one of been one of the strengths of this team over the past few seasons they kind of just figured out really like you said since the beginning of the kevin Steele era it's like top 15 sp plus defense finish for this team over and over again and it and it translated with Derek mason um last season and then you know with jeff schmetting this year shouldn't be that different still gonna be the same base defense they said they didn't want to change things up on on guys too much when they lost Derek mason you know very suddenly they weren't expecting to have him leave the program and so i don't think it'll be too different but yeah they will have to lean on that defensive front and, and hope there are no injuries all right, uh, last one and I'll get you out of here on. I really appreciate the time today. Bigger loss
1: or more difficult in replacing them. McCreary and Monday or the linebackers?
0: It's tough. Um, I would probably say the linebackers because of what you've had waiting in the wings at defensive back for a while. Um, they're now going to have kind of a, cor- a cornerback duo try to replace Roger McCreary, Um, guy named Jalen Simpson who's been – A little injury bugged over the past couple of seasons, but when he's healthy, he's really, really good. um, Really efficient player. And then Nehemiah Pritchett, they tried him out at nickel. He was great as a freshman uh, back in 2020. Uh, Tried him out at nickel last year. Wasn't necessarily his strong suit. He's going to move back full-time to that boundary cornerback spot. And then at safety, uh, Zion Puckett is a really talented player who's had some injury troubles as well. If you can get him healthy, Auburn's done this over the past few years, similar defensive line. They've had, you know, Four-star recruits cycle in every class. You're bringing in actually three four-star DBs in this class. So, um, you know, they've had guys cycling and waiting and getting playing time and kind of developing. So I would say it's the linebackers. Yeah, Owen Papo's great, um, but he's had some injury troubles over the last year. Um, and and just the the production of a guy like Zocoby Um, I mean, he's one of the best defensive players in the SEC I've seen. Uh, just stature didn't have it. Speed didn't necessarily have it. But somehow he's you know 13, 14 tackles a game, and then Chandler Wooten wasn't that far behind him last season. So losing those two guys, that's no that's no small thing at all. The linebackers that are on the roster now that are that are coming up for the fall, trying to downplay it, of course, and trying to say you know that they imparted their knowledge on us and all that kind of stuff. So we you know we'll be able to kind of carry the torch for them. But I I will be interested to see who steps up in their absence besides Owen Papo. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd probably say that's the bigger uh, that's the bigger concern for them heading into the preseason. Nathan, really appreciate the time here on Cover 3 Summer School. Make sure you go follow Nathan. Make sure you're checking out Auburn Undercover. Thanks
1: for taking us undercover uh, with Auburn here and uh, looking forward to see what the Tigers do in the transfer portal down the stretch and reading all your reports coming out of summer camp and, and fall camp. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Y'all take care. All right, buddy. Be well. All right, that's the bell. Cover 3 College Football Summer School is over for today. But don't worry. We'll be back soon with even more episodes filling you in on the top teams in college football. Please give us those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on YouTube and on Twitter at Cover3Podcast, and we'll see you all soon. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the Siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band YouTube. Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.